0: Well, those songs go right into what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to deal with being transformed by God's perfect love and um, really understanding what that really entails. I think we have downplayed so much of his love and the power that it has, but until his love is our true foundation, we will never really become what God died for us to become. Um, So again, I'm going to challenge us just a little bit. And our relationship with God is the one area in our lives that we never want to get complacent in. We can come up with a long list of things that can keep us from what God wants for us. And sometimes on the top of that list is God himself. Often we feel like God has been unkind to us, unfair, and we withhold our affection and trust from him. And sometimes it's not on purpose. But the devil has a cunning way of slipping things in that make us step back. And sometimes we're stepping back just one step at a time. And then before we know it, we look up and we don't know how we got so far, never what we intended. And we don't really know how to make our way back. But we can't really tell nobody that either. The way we first came to God won't work anymore. And we try that road. We try our first works again, as everyone tells us to do, only to fall flat on our faces. And the truth is that you can't try an old prescription with a new illness because really, we can never go back. We can only start from where we are now. Too much life has happened for us to try to get back where we were. Too much damage has been done to try to repair it. But now I'm lost, so what do I do? I tried to pray. I tried to read. Tried to fast. I tried to come to service and immerse myself into the process. But I feel like I don't belong anymore. I want what I once had. But as sad as it is to hear, you will never have what you once had, because you were not that person anymore. So scripture gives us some answers. If we look at Romans 12, Verses 1 and 2. And this is, I'm going to read the message translation. And it says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. develops well-formed maturity in you and you remember the scripture that says we're moving on to perfection that means uh that we're maturing in christ and maturity is something the one thing that we don't really ever grasp so i think that we have damaged ourselves with the lack of acceptance that life events have changed us and when we change, our relationship with God must change as well. Well, let, let's say that um, for us to grow and mature, our relationship with God has to change. We cannot have that same baby relationship with all these adult problems. So, if we want to grow and learn and fall deeper in love, with God, excuse me, our relationship has to change. Because we all want connection. We all want intimacy. We all want depth. There's no reason why we keep doing this year in, year out, without that desire. So then why does it often elude us? And I think one reason is that we have confused openness with vulnerability. I believe we are open to God. Openness is defined as allowing access, a passage, or a view through an empty space. So we are open. Open to God to come into our lives. Open for God to show us his hand. I'm more than willing to hear him out. He can tell me all this stuff and I'll listen. I'm open, but God does not just want us to be open to him. He wants us to be completely vulnerable to him. Vulnerability, defined as being susceptible to physical or emotional injury. You are open to being hurt and wounded. Vulnerability means that you will show your full hand, even if that means I'm giving you access to everything that can hurt, break, and destroy me vulnerability. Jesus was completely vulnerable to God. He showed him everything. And yes, God forsook him, beat him, and killed him. But he also raised him to the glory of God because they are now one. He desires for us to become one as he and his father are one. We will never have access to that without vulnerability. We can read the scripture all day, we can quote it, but we will not really live in it until we really get to vulnerability. So in John 17 and 21, this is Jesus praying, and really go read John 17. That's an amazing, amazing book. For you to grasp, you have to take it slowly and digest it. But to hear Jesus praying to the Father on our behalf, it is an amazing love story. So 21, he says, I pray that they will all be one. And I'm not going to even hit that beginning part because that's like a whole nother message. Because he really was talking about all of us to be one. It's hard to get two people to join together. His prayer was for the entire body of Christ to be one, like he and his father are one. We got a lot of work to do as the Christian folks. We are not where God died for us to be. So he goes on to say, just as you and I are one, As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So maybe some of the problem of us conquering the world, transforming the world into being disciples of Christ, is that we have yet to become one with our Father. Because he says, so that the world will. So the question is, do you really want to know God like this? Do you want to know him as intimately as Jesus knew the Father? Is that a desire? If you say yes, then you must choose vulnerability. Otherwise, you're just really open to the idea of being one with him but you won't put the action of vulnerability behind it. So we're quick to say, yes, of course I want to be one with Christ. I mean, aren't we already one? We got the baptism, we full of the spirit. That should be enough. He's requiring more. Arthur Gay Hendricks says, those safe, protected places you create around your heart the ones designed so that no one can hurt you, have one fatal flaw. If no one can hurt you, no one can touch you either. Just sit with that for a moment. Because most of us have built our life so we will not be hurt. We have created defenses. We have put all these things to keep us safe. In our safety, no one gets to touch us either. Yet we're hoping somebody breaks through, so that we can feel it. But we won't even let that happen. And we won't even let God touch us. Being fully touched is a choice. It's a choice that we often say no to. And I know we know this on an intellectual level. Like, that makes good sense. But have you really taken this in fully? Can you see that God is not allowed to touch you with both his hands because you keep hiding? As much as you want to feel God, as much as you want to know the power of God, He cannot do what he needs to do because you won't let him touch you, yet you feel safe. And sometimes we have to choose, do we want to feel safe or do we want to be vulnerable and be touched? Because you can't have both. The whole point of salvation is intimacy with God. And he is so intimately connected to us. He wants us to be that connected to him. Because right now the relationship is kind of one-sided. He didn't done, done it all. He didn't bear it himself. He didn't lay it on the cross. He didn't put it all out there. When do we lay down ourselves for him? God did everything to fill the space between us. He has come as close to us as he possibly can. So if there is anything that separates him from us, it is on us. Our openness, our vulnerability, our worship, which is something that has to go on daily, is our way to close the gap. How much will you surrender to get close to him? How much of yourself will you just give up to say, because I want to be right next to God. And we love to talk about, you know, the woman that touched the hem of his garment and all of that. She was vulnerable. She put all her stuff out there. I've got to get to you. All the other people we read about, man of, what is his name? The little short man. Thank you. <laughs> Y'all know me. Um, He put it all out there. He did everything possible to get close. How much are you putting out there to get close? Or are you really satisfied just looking at him from a distance? I know we want to say, no, I I want him right up underneath me. I want to lay in his lap. I want to feel his heartbeat, but for you to get there, you've got to lay it all down. It's a risk. It's scary. Because to be pruned is painful, to be burned up, all the impurities out of you, is painful. To become squeezed to get all the oil out of us is painful. And this is why we won't lay it down for Christ. Because I don't trust you. And the reason why we don't trust him is because we don't know how much he loves us. And until we can fully embrace that and get that so deep in our spirits that giving up and laying our life down, it won't even matter because I know how much you love me. You would never, ever hurt me to where it wouldn't help me. But I see right now, I see the pain I'm in. I see the being forsaken. I see being left. I see being broke. I see being sick. All I see is what's in front of me but I cannot see the glory that you're trying to take me to. Christ endured the cross because of the glory that was set before him. When do you get a God view? We got God in us. Why don't we see what he sees? Why aren't we that connected to the process? That even though I'm broken right now, I know I shall be restored Why am I praying for for God to come when God is here? Why am I saying God touch me? He's already touched me. So I'm praying a prayer that's already been answered. So maybe we need to ask God, show me the answered prayer, because I'm wasting my time praying prayers that are already answered. And I'm feeling humiliated and mad and like you don't hear me because you won't answer this prayer, but he already answered it. But you don't have God's view, so you can't see the answered prayer. We cannot have this walk with just our sight. We have got to step into a supernatural place, because we are supernatural beings. Are you not full of God? Is his spirit in you? Do you know what his spirit is? Do you trust that it's yours? Do you trust that he sees you as one with him? No separation. Nothing in between. When he looks in the mirror, he sees you. Why don't you see him when you look in the mirror? At some point in time, we've got to make this real not abstract, not just some words we're reading, but real. That I can touch it and feel it and see it and be moved by it. That my life is transformed because I have God in me. It ain't about me being able to pray and speak in tongues and I got baptized. It's got to get deeper than that. If we're going to change this world, if we're going to do what the apostles did, we're supposed to do greater works. And we sitting here small, we not showing forth the glory of God. Why aren't you shining? Somehow we missed what this is. So I'm gonna go through some stuff. And and some of these thoughts I, I got from David Benner in Surrender to Love. Every time we realize we fall short, We must repent. Turning is repentance. Repentance is never simply turning from something, like turning from sin or a way of living. It must also involve turning to something. We are to turn to Jesus. So, turning to Jesus is the heart of repentance because this is the only real possibility. Of turning away from sin. We focus so much on turning from sin. Where are we turning? <laughs> we just running from sin. But we ain't found who to run to. But we have to see that not being vulnerable to God is a sin, a sin worthy of repentance a sin worthy of turning to Jesus. See, as long as you see vulnerability as a choice, I can do this without doing that. I can make it to heaven, because that's all we care about right now. Just, am I going to hell or heaven? The relationship, everything else that God died for, we won't care about. Just give me the end product, and that's all I want. So if I see vulnerability as a choice, I will never, ever truly turn to Jesus. So let's be real. (laughs) Let's ponder this. If an encounter with divine love is really so transforming, how is it that so many of us have survived such an encounter relatively unchanged? Right? Perfect love does all that stuff. We've been touched by God, right? We haven't felt him before. Mm -hmm. We know he's real. We have his essence in us. So it seems that the experience of love, even God's love, does not always have transforming consequences. It is important to understand why this is the case, if we are to allow ourselves to meet divine love in ways that lead to genuine change. And the only way that love produces healing is when it is received in vulnerability. Genuine transformation requires vulnerability. It is not the fact of being loved unconditionally that is life-changing. It is the risky experience of allowing myself to be loved unconditionally. However, no one can change until they first accept themselves as they are. Self-deceptions and an absence of world vulnerability block any meaningful transformation. It is only when I accept who I am that I dare to show you that self in all its vulnerability and nakedness. This is the danger of not seeing ourselves as sinners and flawed. This is the danger of putting labels on ourselves that are not really ours. Self righteousness prohibits vulnerability. So when I just say, and I hope this don't come off wrong, I'm saved, I haven't sinned, and da-da-da-da-da, I got this right, I got that right, I'm this Christian, I'm this, this, and that, I never look at who I really am. I never say I'm full of fear, I'm doubtful. I lie, I cheat, I hate. I'm scared, because I am both. Not saying none of us are not saved, but we are sinners saved by grace. We can never stop understanding the depth of being a sinner. And the fact that we fight that sinful nature forever. Forever. And just because you stop sexing and stop drinking and stop smoking and maybe stop cussing doesn't mean you're not still a sinner. Identify where your sin lies. So that you can say, this is who I am. So only when I can see myself just as I am, Do I have the opportunity to receive love in a manner that makes a genuine difference? Daring to accept myself and receive love for who I am in my nakedness and vulnerability is the vital precondition for genuine transformation. But make no mistake, this is extremely hard to do. We be fooling ourselves up here acting like this ain't hard. (laughs) Everything within me wants to show my best pretend self to both people and God. This is my false self, the self of my own making. This self can never be transformed because it is never willing to receive love. In vulnerability When this pretend self Receives love It simply becomes stronger And I'm even more deeply In bondage to my false ways Of living Because I know that the love I am Getting is not for the real Me But the pretend me And the longer I live That pretend me The more assured and afraid I am To show the real me and I wish we could fully embrace what that means. And that I partially hold on to that pretend me out of pride. And because I don't want to repent. I don't want to say I'm a phony. My ways of being ain't real. Because we all, you know, love to say we real. You know, we all want to act like we're authentic. Authentic in our being. And this is me. I'm showing you the real me. But it's a real us that's so deep in us that we're afraid to show anybody. We don't even fully know it because we have pretended for so long and given ourselves labels for so long since we was young. This ain't you. You ain't that tough. You not that resilient. You know you break easy, but then you put on that face like, don't nothing hurt you. You're scared to death. But I can take anything. So then we walk in, we get saved, and we find another piece of armor to put on. Then we start using God. Start quoting his word like it means something to us. Like we believe it. I'm more than a conqueror. You know, you ain't thought you conquered nothing. I'm victorious when you know you feel nothing but defeated. So, when do we start saying, I don't know this stuff for real? Like, I guess somebody got that. The me- people that wrote it, they felt it. But it ain't real for me yet. And until we can say, I don't know it, we never will find it. So what we often do is just play a little game. We do some work on ourselves, yet we keep that masquerade intact. Jesus did not come to encourage our schemes. He understood that rather than longing to receive his love in an undefended state, what we really want is to manipulate God to accept us in our false and defended way of being. We present a God, ourselves to a God. We pray false prayers. We do all this false religiosity. And we want God to honor it. I want you to touch that prayer I just prayed. I said in Jesus' name... I fasted, remember? I stopped eating a whole day for you to move. A whole day. Where's the movement? And God is like, really? When you're really to come for real, me and you can talk. So He lets us do our, our facades, He lets us play our games. And he's going to love us until we come to the end of ourselves, And that length of time is up to you. Because remember, he's come as close as he can come. So whatever divide is between me and God is on us. It's because we keep doing this. And we like close the gap. You said you was that man that's going to come in and close the gap. Where's the, Why ain't the gap closed? So the crux of the problem is that I cannot feel the love of God because I do not dare to accept it unconditionally. I don't believe God loves me unconditionally. That's the whole problem. I think he lied. Shouldn't say that about the Jesus. But I think he lied. Because everything in me tells me there is no way he loves me just as I am. Without changing, without moving, without fixing, he loves me as I am. Too hard to believe. No, Nobody else loves you like that. But why we act like God is man? Act like that. Why won't we allow our mind to accept God as God? What stops that? I mean, why do we want him? You know, we like, he's a miracle worker, right? He can do all this stuff. He did all this supernatural stuff. Yet we still just think he's old Bob. Why are we comfortable with that? Why do you want your God to be so small? Because you're creating him to be small. He already told you who he is. He didn't broke it down quite beautifully. He didn't give you example after example after example. Yet why do we want him small? So that he looks like us? So we can then maybe relate? So then maybe I can say, well, you can love me if you are as small as I. You couldn't be this big, amazing, brilliant, creative God and want me? Not me. Like, you didn't do all that for me. There's got to be something I have to do to get you to love me. And the thing is... He loves us even if we never chose him. He don't love you cause you came and got saved. He loved you way beyond you, before you got saved. If you said, I don't want nothing to do with you, God, he still loves you. Hard to take in. He loves the sinner, like the saint. I ain't just a little higher than the sinner. Come on, I should be a little up there, Jesus. I said I would be baptized. I'm trying to live for you. So to know that I am loved, I must accept the frightening helplessness and vulnerability that is my true state. And this is always terrifying. And if I'm honest, it's a bit unbelievable. It is hard to believe we are loved unconditionally. So another condition is to move from belief to a knowing. Mere belief is simply not strong enough to do the job. Relying on belief leaves me clinging to the things that I believe. And there is always the threat of doubt which seems to hold the potential of opening the back door and allowing fear to re-enter. What we need is a knowing that is deeper than a belief. It must be based on experience. Only knowing love is sufficiently strong to cast out fear. Only knowing love is sufficiently strong enough to resist doubt. Because such knowing is beyond faith, it is less immune to doubt. This knowing comes from meeting Jesus, sitting at his feet, gazing in his eyes, and listening to his assurances of love for me. It comes from letting God's love wash over me, not simply trying to believe it. It comes from soaking in the scriptures that assures us Of such love, not simply reading them and trying to remember them. It comes from spending time with God, observing how He looks at me. It comes from watching His watchfulness over me and listening to His proclamations of love for me. See, we've got to create a love affair. It cannot be just us knowing scriptures. Sometimes you've got to put down the book and you've got to just say, God, I need to be with you. Not trying to even learn something or get an enlightenment or anything like that. Just wanting to be with you and waiting until you develop the ability to feel him. Because when you first start, you don't feel nothing. When you first start, it's like, well, this is bogus. I'm sitting here trying to feel, you know, you want to feel something. You know, we've been conditioned that for God to be in the room, you got to feel something. You got to move. You got to quicken. You got to speak. Otherwise, God's not really there. But sometimes he's just silent to see if you just want him. And you get to the point where you know he's there. Just knowing it. And and we don't know God. We have a belief system based on God. But individual, intimate knowing, we don't really know. And why? Because we refuse to be vulnerable. I refuse to come to God and just say, okay, I'm going to throw all my stuff at you and hopes you're going to catch me. That free-falling ain't no joke. That's some scary stuff to free-fall. But you've got a free-fall if you want God to catch you. It's hard to do that when you see somebody standing behind you. Okay. <laughs> Arms out. You know, I don't see you, Jesus. And I'm falling. Like, life is crashing. It don't seem like, it ain't, don't look like nothing soft is underneath there. And I'm supposed to just keep Falling? without seeing nothing, in the dark, just falling. But I'm holding on to, but I trust you, God. Instead of saying, I don't trust you, where are you? I'm falling, it don't seem like you're catching me. I'm a little ticked off with you right now because you said some stuff, and it ain't came to me yet. What we gonna do now? Because we've been playing this game for far too long. Acting like I want you, acting like I believe you, and he just waiting. When you get tired, I'm here. You know you have a two-year-old throw a tantrum. <laughs> you just let him throw it. Go on. When you finish, I'm going to be here to pick you up and calm your nerves. But how long? And some of us, we've been down on the floor kicking for, for 10 years. Lord him, we should be tired. We just wailing and acting a fool. And we not tired yet. We still holding on to that defended person. I can't come to you undefended. I can't come to you just as I am. There's a catch to that. I'm going to come to you just as I am and you're going to put me in hell. Because I know I'm worthy of hell. I know I don't deserve you. I know I'm not worthy of you. I don't really get why you chose me. See, we don't see the way God sees us. And that's the whole problem. He sees you as worthy. He sees you worthy of him. He has never said you're not worthy of me. He really wants you. You've been waiting and pleading for people to want you. Not just to deal with you, but to want you. Want everything about you. To see you and all your mess and still want to be with you. God is offering you that. When He sees you, He's not disgusted with all the stuff we've done. And He has this amazing ability to forget, which we don't have that ability. He has the amazing ability to forget. Would you remember? He's forgotten. What? And we don't believe that, because we keep begging for the same forgiveness. <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? I already said it was over. Why do you keep talking to us about this? See, that goes back to them prayers. Praying that same prayer that's been answered. I got you. You know that thing I did up on the cross that shed all that blood? I just keep throwing it over you. Because now all I see is me. Why would I be disgusted with my own image? You got to get the God view of you, and not a fake one. You got to really, truly believe this. So, like, you got to really say, God, I need to see what you see. And I'm going to fight it like crazy, because you know how stubborn I am, Lord. And you know how much I really am disgusted with my own self. You know how sorry I think I really am. You know, I think I'm ugly on so many levels. So I need some extra talking to. I need some extra convincing about how much you love me. That if I never change anything else, I am still loved and wanted you got to take that into your being. That has to become your identity. Because otherwise your relationship with God will never get any deeper. It will always stay very surface. And then you won't know how to go to him for the things you really need to go to him for. So experiential knowing may be supported by belief, but it is never reduced by it. It is based on experience, the direct personal encounter with divine love. Our natural inclination is to bring the most presentable parts of ourself to the encounter with God. But God wants us to bring our whole self to the divine encounter. He wants us to trust him enough to meet Perfect love, in the vulnerability of our shame, in the vulnerability of our weaknesses and our sin. Tragically, most of us have large tracts of our inner world that are excluded from God's transforming love and his friendship. These exclusions limit our conversion. It is like going to the doctor for a checkup and denying any problems. Focusing only on the parts of oneself that are most healthy. So we keep going to the doctor. Well, doctor, this is what's going wonderful. heart feeling good. I can jog a couple of miles. Sugar's down. But I don't tell him about the pains in my legs. I'm not telling him about having a headache every night. I'm not telling him about how I'm crying myself to sleep because I can't get myself together. But I keep coming to him saying, but Lord, you're just so wonderful. I just love you so much. I know how much you died for me. I know who you are. Try to make sure I conjure up a tongue or two just to convince myself that I really am saved. Matthew nine and twelve says, when Jesus heard that, he said, "Healthy people don't need a doctor; those who are sick do." When will you just say I'm sick? So we use that scripture for everybody. Else. That's the sinner out there. He he need the doctor. You better come in. When you gonna make your appointment? Get in line at the free clinic, too. <laughs> Get in line. You need the physician. And he's not mad that you're still sick. He going to do what he does. He's a healer. If you keep going back to the doctor, they keep treating you. Mm -hmm. Some folks got chronic illnesses. We chronic, y'all. All All of us. We got an ongoing cancer that will not go away. And we keep taking vitamins when we need a little chemo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, I know I got the remedy. I'm just going to start eating right. That cancer is going to still be there. I just pray a little more. I'm going to add one more fast day to the week, but you won't go to the physician to give you the medicine you really need. Why are you scared of the doctor? We're very afraid to get healed. We like staying sick. We almost have a strength in being ill. Because I'm strong. I can take illness. No, we can't. We just as beat up and sick. We need some canes and some glasses. Some of us need to just lay on out on the stretcher and get pushed. Right. (laughs) You can't even make it another further. Because, see, some of us need just some good old surgery. God needs to knock us out and cut it out, and then we got to wait for it to heal. But how can you get it cut out if you never go on and say, This is the problem? You know, like I just had my appendix out, right? And I was convinced. For three days, it was gas. I'm taking gas X. This is gonna go, I'm pushing the appendix, good sense. Uh, it's gonna come out, and I'll be okay. I'm in the bed at three, four, five, six in the morning, because I can't sleep in the fetal position, but it's just, honey, gonna get some gas X. So I finally go in. Ma'am, you should go to emergency now. can I just wait till the morning? Because it was nighttime. <laughs> can I just wait till the morning? I, I'm sure it will last till the morning, and then we can get fresh mm-hmm. there. No. Well, what could, what's the worst that could happen? You could die. Oh. <laughs> I should maybe rethink this. <laughs> So we go to the emergency room while waiting, hours upon hours, honey, maybe we should come back in the morning and take the risk that this won't, you know, rupture. Let's just take the risk. Everything's a risk anyway. If I get healed, if I don't, luckily, he wasn't moving, so I had to stay. (laughs) Hours after hours after hours. Then finally, the CAT scan. Yeah, you probably should, we're going to cut you up. This is what we need. God keeps telling us, y'all need major surgery. And we keep taking gas pills, y'all. Because I'm too scared to lay on that table giving all of my control to someone else to fix me. I got to trust you to fix me? I can't even participate in the fixing? So now we're doing, well, what's your credentials, Jesus? Because I'm not confident you can do this. you sure i need to be completely asleep what's your track record so i asked the anesthesiologist what's your track record has anyone died under your (laughs) anesthesia he told me no all right and then proceeded to tell me, "What you getting is like mine, or I usually do brain surgery." So like, shut up and sit down. <laughs> right, right. This little penning's ain't nothing, <laughs> right? So we come in and we try not to ask Jesus the questions. So go in and ask them. Give me your credentials. How many folks have been taken out under your care? And he hasn't lost one. Not one. Since the beginning, not one. Why he gonna lose you? Why would he mess up his track record for you? Lay down. He laid down for you. And this is what he got in the end. He got us. Yet he laid down. For you, and he's not gonna even kill you. So he says, I want you in your undefended state. I want the real you, not the pretend false you. I know you're sick. You know you're sick. Come to me, I will make you well. Transformation demands that we meet God in vulnerability of our sin and shame rather than retreating to try to get on with our self-improvement projects regardless of how spiritual they look. But it also requires that we stay long enough in his loving presence to allow our shame to begin to melt away. For love to transform us not only must we meet in vulnerability we must also meet long enough for it to penetrate our woundedness. We get up too fast. We don't stay at his feet long enough. Remember good old Jacob. He wasn't letting go until. We don't hold on that tight. We like, oh, you fighting back? No. Sometimes God needs to wrestle with us so that He can see how much do you want Me. He didn't already prove how much you want us. He ain't got nothing else to prove. Yet He will prove Himself. Yet if you ask Him, He will do it again for you. Cause He wants you to see who He is. You personally. Meeting you exactly where you are. Fear is our greatest enemy. But for fear to be abolished, we must meet perfect love. And until we meet it, embrace it, and build a relationship with it, we will remain controlled by fear. Even so much of what we do in order to touch God is from fear. We pray just in case. That means I need to do that to get to heaven. I stop doing this so that I can get to heaven because I'm afraid if I don't, I'm going to go to hell. So my whole relationship with God is built on this fear factor. The foundation has to be love. You've got to tear down the house you have built and get it rebuilt because your house is shaky because you didn't build it on the right foundation. The foundation has to be love. If your foundation is fear, you're not building a house that God's building. You created your own house and you've been living in it and you wonder why the wind keeps rattling the windows and why the roof keeps flying off. It's because you built the house, not God. And what a waste of time. Foot, we've been in this for quite some time. We have wasted so much time. And you question how much God loves you with the amount of time we've wasted? (laughs) And he's still just coming after us? I mean, who got more than five years up in here? 10, 15, look at y'all. How much time have we wasted? Why do we keep wanting to waste time? Break yourself down. Let's stop all the foolishness. Get what you really want, because this is what you really want. You came to God to be loved. Even though it was a little fear attached to it, you was hoping in the process you would finally meet perfect love. But only love can make us what God died for us to be. We read the scripture, but when do we make it our reality? When do we stop making excuses for our fear? Because remember, fear is why we are a fake self. It's why we lie. It's why we do everything we do. All that persona that we didn't create, is all fear. So 1 John 4 and 18, and we've all read this. I'm going to read in three different versions just so hopefully something's going to penetrate for us to get where we need to go. First one's a message um, translation. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life. Fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. God's Word translation. No fear exists where his love is. Rather, perfect love gets rid of fear because fear involves punishment. The person who lives in fear doesn't have perfect love the Living Bible, we need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us eliminates all dread of what he might do to us. If we are afraid, it is for fear of what he might do to us. And it shows that we are not fully convinced that he really loves us. You've got to see not accepting his love as sin. This is not a choice. So any fear that we have means that we are not fully convinced that God loves us. And the scripture goes on to say that we love him because he first loved us. If we have not fully allowed God to fully love us, then there is no way that we love him back. So stop saying you love God. So part of my motivation to meet God in vulnerability is to be able to love him back. Until I fully know the perfect love, my love for him will be incomplete. And who wants to say they don't love God? So I'll end with one of my favorite scriptures. Hmm. And the reason why I love this so much, Paul is, is, is his prayer for when he was incarcerated and he was telling his people this. Um, he wanted them to get to a point of fully embracing the love of God. That has to be your quest. Truly, not until this love is known and walked in and consumed can we ever be the sons and daughters that God died for us to be. So Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. And again, I'm going to read two versions and hope it penetrates something. First one is God's word translation. He says, I'm asking God to give you a gift from the wealth of his glory. I pray that he would give you inner strength and power through his spirit. Then Christ will live in you through faith. I also pray that love may be the ground into which you sink your roots, on which you have your foundation. This way, with all of God's people, you will be able to understand how wide. That is, it hits all nations and ranks. How long that it continues from everlasting to everlasting. How high that it raises you up to heavenly happiness and glory. And how deep that it's saving us who are sunk in the depths of sin and misery. You will know Christ's love, which goes far beyond any knowledge. I am praying this so that you may be completely filled with God. The Living Bible Translation. He says that out of his glorious, unlimited resources, he will give you the mighty inner strengthening of his Holy Spirit. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep and how high His love really is. And to experience this love for yourselves, though it is so great that you will never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And at last, you will be filled up with God himself. To be filled up with God, you've got to know his love. So once we are filled with God, there is nothing that can stop us. There is nothing that can break us. There is nothing that can shrink us. We will finally become one with Christ. And I pray this be our ultimate desire. I pray that we are willing to do all it takes and lay down all we have to to become who God created us to be.